<clears throat> so we want to continue in our series in Christology, and I pray that uh, you all have been uh, learning a lot through our series in Christology, uh, knowledge that's not merely uh, meant to puff us up, which knowledge is not meant to puff us up, but a knowledge that drives us to our knees so that maybe we worship Christ in a more clearer way. Uh, that's the goal and that's the aim of the Christian life. It is to know God and glorify him. And we are to know God the way that he has prescribed for us to know him. But also we are to worship God in a way that's clear without any error. So we want to consider uh, Christ this evening. Um, and what we want to do this evening is we want to revisit um, a message that was delivered, I believe it was three weeks ago, uh, which we spoke about the work of the Holy Spirit in the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. Now, I know that uh, talking to uh, various individuals from this church, as well as uh, listening, re-listening to the sermon, which I hate to do, I hate to listen to my own voice, but re-listen to the sermon and reviewing the notes, uh, I've come to the conclusion that much of what was said might have went over uh, a lot of your heads. And not that you're unable to apprehend or even comprehend uh, what was being said, but it was an error of mine uh, as someone who preaches God's word and someone who is to communicate uh, rich truths in a simplified way. Uh, I didn't do as best as I could have done um, in, in, in delivering that message. Uh, so what I want to do this evening is I want to reconsider uh, the work of the Holy Spirit in the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. And much of what I'm going to say this evening is what I've already said uh, three weeks ago. Um, but, but without <laughs> less quotes, um, and with, with, with more simplified, uh, I hope, uh, analogies and, and words and, and all that, uh, good stuff. So, uh, I ask for your forgiveness, uh, for those who left that sermon or that, or that, that lesson, uh, confused and not knowing uh, what we spoke about other than there was the Holy Spirit and there was Christ, and I can't make sense of the connection between the two. Uh, that is an error of mine as a communicator and as someone who is to bring rich theology down to uh, a level that you are able to digest. So let's reconsider uh, the life and ministry of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit in the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. And there's two reasons why we all, I also want to recon or uh, look back or look at this lesson, uh, because for one, in order for us to have a proper view of the person of Christ, and if you have noticed, we have not even touched the work of Christ yet, and we have not touched uh, the parables of Christ or the miracles of Christ or uh, how Christ relates to the law or the death of Christ or any of that stuff. Um, we have only been focusing on the person of Christ, and in order for us to understand a proper or understand the work of Christ um, and how the person of Christ relates to the work of Christ, we have to understand the work of the Holy Spirit in the person of Christ. Remember, we are to have a proper Christology and an accurate and precise Christology as much as possible. But also the second reason why we want to reconsider this lesson is because in order for us to understand the role of the Holy Spirit in our own lives, 
we have to have a proper understanding of the role of the Holy Spirit in the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. In order for us to have any sense of the role of the Holy Spirit as us who are united to Christ by faith, we have to understand the work of the Holy Spirit in the man, God-man, Jesus Christ. So let's consider Christ and the Holy Spirit. And if we were to ask the question, whom did Christ lean upon the most during his life and ministry and even up to the end of his life? Who did Christ lean upon the most? Well, we can look at um, the various disciples uh, that he had intimate relationships with. We can look at his relationship with his mother. We can look at the relationship between him and his father. But if we were to ask the question or narrow it down to one person that Christ leaned upon the most in his life and ministry, it is undoubtedly the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit who Christ leaned upon the most. Sinclair Ferguson has said is the, it is the Holy Spirit who was Christ's closest companion. Christ's closest companion. He goes on to summarize the various stages in Christ's life in which the Holy Spirit was at work. He says the spirit who was present and active at Christ's conception as the head of the new creation, by whom he was anointed at baptism, who directed him throughout his temptations, empowered him in his miracles, energized him in his sacrifice, and vindicated him in his resurrection, now indwells uh, in his disciples, in this specific identity. We see that it is the Holy Spirit from womb, not only to resurrection, but to exaltation and glorification, in which the Holy Spirit accompanies the person of Christ. It is the Holy Spirit who was more intimately joined to Jesus Christ throughout the entirety of the life and ministry of Christ, um, closer than any other. So what I want to do is I want us to see this work of the Holy Spirit in the person of Christ by by uh, looking at two points. And the first point is the work of the Holy Spirit in the incarnation and early life of Christ. The work of the Spirit in the incarnation and early life of Jesus Christ. And there's going to be a little bit of sub points there which I will uh, mention. And then the second point is the work of the Spirit in the ministry of Christ. The work of the Spirit in the ministry of Christ. So point number one, the work of the Spirit in the life or in the incarnation and early life of Jesus Christ, so in the beginning of Christ's life, and then the work of the Spirit at the ministry of Christ. And I hope that at the end we will glorify our Christ so let's consider the first point, and that is the work of the Spirit in the incarnation and early life of Jesus Christ. The incarnation and early life of Jesus Christ. The first area where we see the work of the Spirit in the life of Jesus Christ is at the very beginning of Christ's life. At the very beginning of Christ's life, that is in the incarnation. And when I say at the very beginning of Christ's life. What I mean by that is the very beginning of this one person with two natures. As we know that Christ is one person with two natures, divine and human. Christ is, or we should say Christ as pertaining to his divine nature, 
the eternal son has never had a beginning. He is eternal. So when I say the Holy Spirit was present at the beginning of Christ's life, what I mean by that is not respect to his divine nature, but with respect to his human nature, with respect to this one person who has two natures, who is Jesus Christ. And we see this uh, first area in the incarnation. And if you remember what the incarnation is, it simply is the eternal son, the second person of the Trinity, not the father, not the spirit, but the, the second person of the Trinity, who is the eternal son, takes on, assumes human flesh. Now, when I say assumes human flesh, what I don't mean is the eternal son merely assumed a human body. Or as when he, when he was in, when the eternal son took on flesh and when he was birthed, he merely had a human body, but had a divine mind, a divine will, and a divine soul. But when we speak of the incarnation and the eternal son taking on flesh, what I mean by that is it's the eternal son taking on a human body and a human soul. A human body and a human soul, a human body and a human will, a human body and a human mind, a human body and all of those human faculties, yet without sin. So that's what I mean. All of what it means to be human, the eternal son assumed. So there's three ways in which the Holy Spirit is actively at work at the incarnation. So if you're taking notes, uh, you can put the work of the Spirit in the incarnation and then just three little points in which the Holy Spirit is actively at work in that incarnation alone, okay? The first work is the conception of Jesus Christ in the virgin womb of Mary. The conception of Jesus Christ in the virgin womb of Mary, it is the Holy Spirit who had the unique, a special, and peculiar job, or I should say work, uh, where he formed, framed the miraculous body, miraculous conception of the body of Christ in the virgin's womb. He formed and framed the miraculous conception of the body of Christ in the virgin womb. We can say that it is the Holy Spirit who is the efficient cause in the incarnation, whereas Mary is the material cause. But the Holy Spirit is the efficient cause. And we read of this, saints, in Luke chapter 1, verses 34 through 37, that after the angel has told Mary that she will bear a son, she says in verse 34, and Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? Mary asked the same question that we all would ask. How am I to be with child if I've never had an intimate relationship with one man? It doesn't make any sense. And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. How did Mary, who was a virgin, become pregnant? It is by the power of the Holy Spirit. It is by the power of the Holy Spirit where Mary becomes pregnant. Herman Bobbing says, From this it is evident that the activity of the Holy Spirit with respect to this conception 
did not consist in any infusion of any heaven, heavenly or divine substance in Mary, but in a demonstration of power that made her womb fertile in the act of overshadowing her as with a cloud. That's a great quote. And what he simply means is God did not infuse the womb of Mary with any of his divine substance. God did not impregnate Mary the same way man impregnates a woman. But rather, it was by power that the Holy Spirit overshadowed the womb of Mary to make Mary's womb fertile. This overshadowing of the womb of Mary is likened to the Spirit's overshadowing in the first creation. We read in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, that the Spirit hovers over the waters of the deep in the darkness of that creation. Well, what we see in this new creation is the Spirit overshadowing the darkness of Mary's womb to bring about who? The head of the new creation. There's striking similarities. If, if you ever get a chance to look at the, the power of the work of the Holy Spirit in the new creation, which is the uh, uh, conception of Jesus Christ in the virgin's womb, and how that relates to the power of the Holy Spirit in the first creation. Uh, but we see that this true saints uh, is not merely just for us to know um, so we can have knowledge of it, but it helps us explain how Jesus could be born of a virgin. This is why many re- there are many that reject the virgin birth because they can't understand the virgin birth, which it is a mysterious uh, doctrine. But if you remember from our talks of the human nature of Jesus Christ and the incarnation and the virgin birth, that Jesus Christ was not born the same way you and I were born. He has no earthly father in that technical sense. That uh, there is none of Joseph's DNA running. There is none of Joseph's blood running in Jesus Christ. But he is from the seed of the woman. In fact, if he was not from the seed of woman of the woman, then he would not be the one who Genesis 3.15 speaks of. It is the Holy Spirit, saints, and I, I don't want to confuse you here, but I must, must be said that it is the Holy Spirit in the womb of Mary that takes a piece or a bit of Mary in order for her to become pregnant. Jesus really is from Mary. Mary is really the mother of Jesus Christ, although he is the God-man. But it is the Holy Spirit who worked in the womb of Mary to supernaturally conceive the person of Christ. This is a supernatural act, not a natural act, not an ordinary act. No one has ever been born in this way. Francis Sheraton is helpful here. He says, the spirit acts by power, not by seed. He didn't infuse Mary with anything, right? By might, not by intercourse. Mary did not make love with the Holy Spirit. So that he was conceived, Christ was conceived in the power of the Spirit, not from the substance of the Spirit, not by generation, but by blessing. Again, how did Mary, who was a virgin, become pregnant? It was by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit uh, overshadowed the womb of Mary. 
But it wasn't as if the Holy Spirit was responsible for overshadowing the womb of Mary and by power causing her to become pregnant. But it is the Holy Spirit who, who worked in the virgin's womb to form and frame and also to sanctify the human nature of Christ in the womb of Mary. As a, it wasn't as if the Holy Spirit's only uh, task was to uh, make Mary's womb fertile and then just leave her with a baby. But he worked in the womb of Mary to form, frame, and to sanctify the human nature of Jesus Christ. And this is the second aspect of the work of the Spirit in the Incarnation. It is the Holy Spirit in the womb of Mary. It was his, cha- his task. It was his uh, uh, a special work to sculpt, to frame, to form the human nature of Jesus Christ. We read in the book of Hebrews that it is the Father that prepared a body for the Son. Well, it is the Holy Spirit who, in the womb of Mary, prepared that one who would take on that body that was prepared beforehand. The Holy Spirit, and this is amazing, to, to, to think about. It is the Holy Spirit who knit together in the womb of Mary the divine and human nature of Jesus Christ. There was something going on in the womb of Mary other than her just being pregnant and having a baby. And in addition to uh, the framing and forming of the human nature of Christ, the Holy Spirit also sanctified the human nature of Christ. Not only did he form and sculpt this one who had a body prepared beforehand, but also he sanctified that one. John Owen says the human nature of Christ being thus formed in the womb by a creating act of the Holy Spirit was in the instant of its conception sanctified. Think about that. The very moment Mary was pregnant the Holy Spirit sanctified that one. There was never a time when Jesus Christ, the person of Christ, according to his human nature, was not holy. But the very second Mary became pregnant, he was holy. Never once was he not holy, according to his human nature, of course. In other words, it is the Holy Spirit in the womb of Mary that sanctifies the person of Christ with respect to his human nature. And we all know of sanctification. We all love to read of sanctification, hear about sanctification, and this progressive sanctification that's going on in our lives where the Holy Spirit is working in our lives to detach us from from all of those sinful inclinations and and conforming us more into the image of Christ. We are currently going through that progressive sanctification. But there is no progressive sanctification with respect to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ has always been holy. And this saint is important for us to understand because when we think of the sinlessness of Christ, we tend to say that Christ is sinless Because he's God, which it is true. The base of his person is divine. He is the God man who assumed human flesh. But we aren't to think that 
the primary reason why Christ's human nature is sinless is because he is a divine person. Nor are we to think that Christ is sinless, his human nature is sinless because he wasn't born of ordinary generation. Just because um, Adam's sin is not passed on to him, that means that he is not, uh, that means that he is sinless. But the primary reason, the source of Christ's sinlessness is the Holy Spirit sanctifying the human nature of Christ in the womb of Mary. You see, if Jesus Christ is sinless according to his human nature, um, from his divine nature, right? If, meaning, if Christ, since he is the God-man, and since he has a human nature, therefore uh, he is sinless because of his divine nature, because he is God, then that would mean that the two natures of Christ somehow mixed together. But it is the Holy Spirit who is the efficient cause in the human nature of Christ's sinlessness. The reason why Christ is sinless according to his human nature is not because he is the God-man. It's not because he is God, but because the Holy Spirit sanctified that human nature. That's the reason why he is sinless. And we have biblical warrant, good biblical warrant to believe this, saints. For when we read in Luke chapter 1, verse 35, the angel says, the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. Again, the angel refers to the infant Christ as holy. Before he came out the womb, the angel refers to that baby as holy. Jesus Christ came out the womb holy and truly sinless because of the sanctifying work of the Spirit. Now, saints, this truth is not merely information for us to store up and then uh, uh, consider it and, and, and speak about it when the time is right. But this truth carries deep significance for our salvation. You see, saints, we needed a man in order for us to be saved. But not just any man. We needed one who was truly sinless and truly holy. We needed one who was like the first Adam in order to reverse, offset, and undo what the first Adam had done. We needed perfect man to represent fallen humanity. That's who we needed. We needed one to take on all of our essential properties and common infirmities to truly represent us. That's whom we needed as a savior. Cyril of Alexandria says, if he conquered as God, Christ, if Christ conquered as God, to us it is nothing. But if he conquered as man, we conquered in him. How can we say that we conquered in Christ? Because Christ lived as true man. How can we say that we have salvation in Christ? Because Christ in his work of redemption, acted as true man, although he is the God-man. The Holy Spirit 
sanctified the human nature of Christ, thereby equipping him as the son of God to be the savior of man. You see, saints, in the womb of Mary, and this is remarkable to think about, but in the womb of Mary, there was something powerful going on where the Holy Spirit was equipping the human nature of Christ in order for him to be the savior of men. That was what's happening in the womb of Mary. There was a divine equipping going on where the Holy Spirit was getting ready the person of Christ with respect to his human nature in order to do what? In order to fulfill the covenant of redemption, thereby saving you from your sins. At the moment of conception, there was a process happening with you in mind that your redemption was in mind and the Holy Spirit equipping, divine equipping the human nature of Christ to take on all that the Father had given to him in eternity past. Thirdly, we see the Holy Spirit's work upon the person of Christ during his life. It wasn't as if the Spirit left Christ alone after the incarnation. Uh, It wasn't as if the Holy Spirit uh, miraculously conceived the person of Christ in the womb of Mary and then just left Mary alone with a baby in her belly. And then after that baby was born, the Holy Spirit had nothing to do with Jesus Christ, according to his human nature. But it is the Holy Spirit who continued to work in the person of Christ, according to his human nature, as that one grew in stature. Luke, 4, or Luke 2, 40 says, And he grew, and the child grew, and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Saints, when we think of Jesus Christ, and with respect to the knowledge he had as a young boy, we tend to think that Jesus came out the womb knowing all that there is about all that there is. We tend to think that even as a child, he knew the law. Even as a child, he already knew what it meant to disobey and obey his parents. That he knew as a child to how to hold his bottle properly. And it's, it's always funny to think when people say, well, uh, Jesus Christ uh, never pooped a diaper. <laughs> or Jesus Christ never laughed. Or Jesus Christ never uh, did anything that, uh, that we do. But Christ was truly man. And even as a child, with respect to his knowledge, he was, and I'm not a heretic for saying this, he was finite. He had to learn the way we had to learn with respect to his human nature, of course. He was finite. He was not infinite in what he knew as a child. And when we consider the things that Christ knew uh, as a child, he made progress after the manner of men, meaning he learned the same way you and I learn things. He was taught the same way you and I were taught. And, and, and when, we, when we say this, though, the difference between our learning and Christ's learning is when Christ learned, more grace was being poured out upon his soul, meaning that all that Christ knew, he kept increasing in his ability to skillfully use the knowledge he obtained. He didn't forget one thing that he learned, but he mastered it, all that he learned. And saints, one implication of this of this is Christ as a boy learned about himself by reading the Old Testament scriptures. 
We ought to think that when Christ came out to womb, according to his human nature, he already knew that he was the Messiah. He already knew that he was the Savior of men, but he learned about himself by reading about himself in the Old Testament. Mark Jones says, Jesus came to a growing understanding of his messianic calling by reading the scriptures. He had to learn the Bible just as we must. Of course, he is the greatest theologian who ever lived. His reading of the Bible would have been free from the problems that beset Christians who wrongly interpret passages and bring their own sinful dispositions to the text. Nevertheless, we must not imagine that Christ had all the answers as a baby and merely waited to begin his ministry at the age of 30 without putting in hard yet delightful work on a daily basis in obedience to his father's will. Christ had to work in order to know who he was according to his human nature. As Christopher Wright notes, the Old Testament enabled Jesus to understand himself. The answer to his self-identity, to his self-identity came from the Bible. The Hebrew scriptures in which he found a rich tapestry of figures, historical persons, prophetic pictures, and symbols of worship. And in this tapestry, where others saw, and this is beautiful, where others saw only a fragmented collection of various figures and hopes, Jesus saw his own face. So when Christ would read of Abraham, when he would read of Moses, when he would go through the Old Testament, while others saw these historical figures, these historical places, and, and this drama that's unfolding in the Old Testament, Christ saw himself. He read himself in the Old Testament. He had to study to know what to do. Um, and the source saints of this learning was the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the source of Christ's learning. Now, why is this important for us to know? Well, for one, this helps us guard against those heretics who say that Jesus Christ wasn't truly a man. There's many that say that the eternal son did not take on a true human nature. And this truth, saints, of Christ as a young boy growing in wisdom dashes to pieces all of those uh, arguments that those heretics like to throw our way. That Jesus Christ truly was human. That Jesus Christ truly had to learn things. And he did so by the power of the Holy Spirit. Think about this, that Christ in his life, saints, he did not cheat in any way. Meaning that Jesus Christ lived as a true human being. That Jesus Christ did everything according to his human nature in the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ never once tapped into his divine resources. But he relied on the Holy Spirit. He never cheated in his life. But he did all things. One person with two natures, but he acted as true man in the power of the Spirit. If Christ is not truly man, then man is not truly saved. Again, we needed one who was man to save us from our sins. So we see the work of the Spirit in the life of Christ didn't stop at conception, but continued as Christ matured in age. So to summarize this, uh, this first point or summarize what we've said is it is the Holy Spirit who worked in Christ, not only in the incarnation 
in, 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 in um, overshadowing the womb of Mary, thereby bringing about uh, the person of Christ with respect to its human nature. But also this work of the Holy Spirit continued in the life of Christ as he matured in age. The Holy Spirit was there at every moment of Christ's life as he matured in age. Christ's closest companion. Now, let's consider our second point, and that is the work of the Spirit in the ministry of Christ. The work of the Spirit in the ministry of Christ. And in this second point, I want to point out just four simple, quick ways in which the Holy Spirit worked in the ministry of Christ. And we'll consider these in subpoints. In Matthew chapter 3, verse 16, we read of the baptism of Jesus Christ. And what we see at the baptism of Jesus Christ is the Holy Spirit descending upon Christ like a dove. Now, we aren't to think that when the Holy Spirit comes upon the person of Christ at his baptism, that that is the first time the Holy Spirit was with the person of Christ. For Christ has always had the Holy Spirit. But at Christ's baptism, Christ received the Holy Spirit in the fullness of ways. In order for Christ to, to um, complete and work and do all that he was to do in his uh, um, public messianic ministry. And what happens, saints? And this is interesting. What happens after Christ is baptized? He's given the Spirit at his baptism. But what happens after his baptism? It is the Spirit who drives Christ into the wilderness to be tempted for 40 days and 40 nights. And when we think about the temptation of Christ, we aren't to think that Christ is slaying the serpent, slaying Satan, because he is God. But when Christ rebuttals all of Satan's uh, temptations, he's doing so as man equipped with the Holy Spirit. Christ defeats Satan as man in the power of the Holy Spirit. One implication of that is, since Christ has defeated the whole, uh, Satan uh, as man, according to, his Holy Spirit, according to the Holy Spirit, or in the power of the Holy Spirit, then we have victory in Christ. We have defeated Satan. What we see in uh, the life of Christ, during the ministry of Christ, is the Holy Spirit is present at every aspect of his ministry. The first sub-point is the Holy Spirit's work in the ministry of Christ as he preached the gospel. John Owen says, The Holy Spirit, in a peculiar manner, anointed him with all those extraordinary powers and gifts which were necessary for the exercise and discharging of his office on earth. So the Holy Spirit was given to uh, the person of Christ with respect to his human nature to fulfill the offices that he was discharged with. And one of those offices is the office of prophet. And if you remember, if you know that the prophets in the Old Testament were those ones who spoke the very words of God. They spoke the very words of God. And when we consider Christ and his office as prophet, he spoke the very words of God according to his human nature in the power of the Spirit. And saints, that is what was prophesied about the Messiah in Isaiah 61.1. It reads, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me 
because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor who has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. John testifies of this truth in John 3:34 where he says, "For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the spirit without measure." And as we read the gospel of counts, what we see is many were amazed at Christ, not only because he was doing performing miracles, but what he was saying. They were amazed at what Christ was saying, for Christ opened the scriptures, he preached the word of God, as one who knew the word upside down, but also as one who preached authoritatively, one who preached the very words of God. We read of this in Luke 4, 22. It says, and all were speaking well of him and wondering at the gracious words which were falling from his lips. And they were saying, is this not Joseph's son? How does this one whom we grew up with who we saw run around. How was this one speaking like this? You see, saints, when men looked at Christ, although he was the God-man, they saw a man. Matthew 7, verses 28 to 29, when Jesus had finished these words, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one having authority and not as their scribes. The scribes knew the scriptures, although they had a warped view of the scriptures, They knew the scriptures, but Christ was able to speak the scriptures in a way that was authoritative, as if God himself was speaking to the people. That's how they viewed, uh, that's what they heard when they uh, were listening to Christ. Matthew 13, 54, he came to his hometown and began teaching them in their synagogue. So they were astonished and said, where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers? We can read the same thing in Mark 6, 2. You see, saints, when Christ spoke, he did not speak according to his divine nature. But when Christ spoke, he spoke as one who was given the Holy Spirit without measure. He, and as a side note, Christ speaking uh, according to his human nature and the power of the Spirit, sets the pattern for preachers as well. As he preached and taught, he did so in the power of the Spirit. The second subpoint we see is the work of the Holy Spirit in the ministry of Christ as he performed miracles. John Owen says, Every other act then, including all of Christ's miracles, were performed by the power of the Holy Spirit uh, at work in the human Jesus. In other words, All that Christ did in his life and ministry, he did according to his human nature by the power of the Spirit, even his miracles. Christ performed miracles according to his human nature in the power of the Spirit. Now, saints, this truth causes us to reevaluate all that we know about Christ and his miracles. Because when we think about Christ and his miracles and when he performed miracles, we think that Well, Christ was doing so according to his divine nature, because he is God. But when we read the gospel of count, what we see is Christ performs miracles according to his human nature and the power of the spirit. He's doing so not only to show that he is the God man, but to show that he fulfills Old Testament prophecy. 
for this was what was promised that the Messiah would do. Here we see the saints in uh, Luke 4, when Christ goes to the synagogue. Um, and mind you, this is after his baptism and after the temptation. There's a, there's a logical sequence where Christ is given the Spirit at his baptize, baptism. He's driven out by the Spirit to be tempted. And he goes to the synagogue, and what does he read? He reads Isaiah 61. It says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Christ is saying that he is the one whom Isaiah 61 is speaking of. Christ healed the sick. As he casted out demons, as he raised the dead, he was doing so as man empowered by the Spirit, for this is what the Old Testament prophesied. In Matthew chapter 12, this man who was blind, mute, and demon-possessed was brought to Christ for healing. And as Christ healed this man, the Pharisees said, it is only by Beelzebub, that the, uh, the prince of demons, that this man cast out demons. So it is because Christ is of demons, he casts out demons. Christ's rebuttal to the Pharisees is seen in verse 27 and 28. He says here, and this is very interesting. He says, if I cast out demons by uh, Beelzebub, then by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons... If it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God is upon you. Why would Christ say, if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, if he was casting out demons according to his divine nature? It doesn't make any sense. But he says, if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God is upon you. In other words, Christ is the quintessential man of the Spirit. That as Christ casted out demons by the Spirit, he was showing that the age of the Spirit has come upon them and that the kingdom of God is present. Peter, in Acts uh, 10, summarizes the ministry of Christ in this way. He says, You yourselves know what happened throughout all of Judea, beginning from Galilee, after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth, with the Holy Spirit and with power. And notice, notice what he says after Christ was anointed with the Holy Spirit and power. He says, he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Christ as man, empowered by the Spirit, raised the dead. Christ as man, empowered by the Spirit, knew the history of the woman of the well. Christ as man, empowered by the Spirit, walked on water turned water into wine. And Thomas Winandi, he summarizes this work of the Spirit of the ministry of Christ well. He says, within the incarnation, the Son of God never does anything as God. That's something to think about. In the incarnation, the Son of God never does anything as God. If he did, he would be acting as God in man. So mainly that he would be acting as God who had a flesh suit. But this is the incar this uh this the incarnation will never permit. 
All that Jesus did as the Son of God was done as man, whether it was eating carrots or raising someone from the dead. All of that is to say, saints, that Christ in all of his work, from preaching to performing miracles, he did so as man by the power of the Spirit. Thirdly, we see the work of the Spirit um, in the death of Christ. This is the third subpoint. Hebrews 9, 14, we read, And how much more with the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. You see, saints, at the final hours of Christ's life, as Christ was going up Golgotha's hill, and even before that, as he began to realize what was about to happen, I believe that it was the Holy Spirit that moved closer and closer and closer to Jesus Christ. It was the Holy Spirit who sustained, who comforted, who encouraged, who supported our Christ during those final hours and final days. As Christ was in the Garden of Gethsemane, when he cries out to his Father that if it is possible, and we all remember, we all have read it, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. We are to think that the moment he said that, the Holy Spirit was quick to comfort, to encourage, to sustain, to remind Jesus Christ of the unique task and the glory that was awaiting him. He was quick to come alongside Jesus Christ. Therefore, Jesus Christ can say, but nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. How can Christ say that? Because it is the Holy Spirit who comforted our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. How can Jesus Christ set his face like flint? How can Jesus Christ set his face as a stone, as one who will not be moved by the sufferings, as one who will not be moved at the mockery, as one who will not be moved by all of his friends abandoning him because he had the Holy Spirit who was with him. That is how Christ can set his face as flint. It was the Holy Spirit who counseled and comforted our Lord during the final days and the final hours of his life. And on the cross, it was the Holy Spirit that Christ offered himself up to God. It is through the Holy Spirit that Christ offered himself up to God. And it is in the womb or in the tomb where Christ's body was buried that the Holy Spirit had the glorious privilege of guarding and protecting that body. In other words, in the tomb, as Christ's body lay there, we read that externally his body was guarded by angels. But internally, there was something miraculous that was happening. Or it is the Holy Spirit that preserved that body from seeing corruption. Acts 2, 27, as David said concerning Christ, 
For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol to Hades. Or you will not abandon my soul to Hades. Or let your Holy One see corruption. How can this one, Christ, say that you will not let your Holy One see corruption? Because the Holy Spirit is the one who will not allow the body to see corruption. John Owen says, This pure, this is a wonderful quote, this pure and holy substance was preserved in its integrity by the overshadowing power of the Holy Spirit without any of those accidents of change which attend the dead bodies of others. After three days, bodies begin to change. If you are dead. (laughs) After three days, bodies begin to decay. They might even begin to stink. Worms might have already gotten to the body. That's not the case with our Lord, for thou never changes. Christ's body did not for one second turn rotten. Christ's body not for one second began to stink. Not one worm crept upon the garment's of Christ, for the Holy Spirit sustained and kept the body of Christ from seeing decay. St. Clair Ferguson has said concerning this point, by this agency, the Holy One was conceived in the darkness of the virgin's womb. By his presence, the Holy One was preserved in the darkness of Joseph's tomb. What a beautiful thought that is. From womb to tomb, There was a deep devotion of the Holy Spirit to the eternal Son in flesh. The Holy Spirit never left our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Fourth and last sub-point, it is the Holy Spirit's work in the resurrection and exaltation of Christ. Although the Trinity was involved in raising Christ from the dead, it was the Holy Spirit who had a unique and a special role in raising Christ. Christ. The Apostle Paul says in Romans 1, 3, and 4 concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord. We read that Christ was declared to be the son of God in power by the resurrection through the work of the Spirit. Paul says in 1 Timothy 3.16, Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness, that he was manifested in the flesh and vindicated by the Spirit. Christ was justified by the Spirit in his resurrection. But saints, when we think of the resurrection of Christ, we aren't to detach the resurrection from Christ's exaltation and glorification. Sinclair Ferguson says the work of the spirit in the resurrection of Christ, and hear this, was not merely a work of resuscitation. He didn't just bring a dead person back to life. Christ's resurrection by the spirit was his transformation. Indeed, it is his glorification. That is why when Christ came out the tomb, they couldn't recognize who he was. They couldn't understand whom this man was because his body had changed. 
his body went from a lowly state to a glorified state. John Owen says, it is the Holy Spirit that glorified the human nature of Christ. And this is beautiful. And made it every way meet for its eternal residence at the right hand of God. It was the Holy Spirit that glorified the human nature of Christ and made that human nature ready to sit at the right hand of the Father. And a pattern of glorification of bodies of them that believe on him. This is our pattern as well. And hear this, saints. He who first made his nature holy had now made it glorious. You see, saints, the Spirit's ministry in the life of Jesus was not merely from womb to tomb, but it was from womb to throne. From the conception of Jesus Christ to him being seated at the right hand of the Father, the Holy Spirit was present And the Holy Spirit is still present with our Christ as he now intercedes on our behalf. From the forming and framing of the human nature of Christ in the womb of Mary to the rising of that Holy One and power in his resurrection, the Holy Spirit was Christ's closest companion. And all of that Christ did, he did as man in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, how do we uh, take, what do we take away from this lesson? Well, I think there's two things that we can say that will help us improve upon our lives. Number one is we see the amazing condescension, humility, and security we have in Christ. The amazing condescension, humility, and security we have in Christ. When we think about the condescension of the eternal son, This one who comes on high to such a lowly place. This one whom Isaiah 6 speaks of that sits on a throne, who the train of his robe fills the temple. This one comes down to be wrapped in swaddling clothes. What an amazing condescension by our Lord. But also what an amazing humility that Christ condescended to our likeness, but also he lived and operated in our likeness. Christ condescended to our likeness, and he also lived and operated in our likeness. Christ never reached into his divine resources. He never reached into his divine nature, but he lived as the God-man and operated according to his human nature in the power of the Spirit. What great humility that is, by our Lord. Never once in his life did he cheat, but he did all things as man given the spirit without measure. And when we think about that, saints, does that not bring a whole new meaning to the work of Christ? That Christ as man obeyed the law for us. That Christ as man suffered for us so that we do not have to suffer. That Christ bore the sins of his people, thereby we, our sins, have been casted as far as the east is from the west. All that Christ did as man in his work of mediation, 
he did for us. And when we consider Christ and him operating in our likeness, it brings a whole new meaning to the work of Christ on our behalf. And secondly, we walk, what we walk away with is we see that the work of the Spirit in our Lord sets the pattern for the work of the Spirit in our own lives. That the work of the Spirit in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ sets the pattern for the work of the Spirit in our own lives. Meaning, when the Holy Spirit comforted our Lord, when the Holy Spirit sustained our Lord, when the Holy Spirit helped our Lord as a young boy learn things, when Christ was going through his final days and final hours, it was the Holy Spirit that came along our Christ that comforted him, that reminded him of the throne and of the crown that would be awaiting him as a lichen to the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. Of course, we are not able to uh, perform miracles the way that Christ performed miracles as he was given the Spirit without measure. But the same way the Spirit came alongside Jesus Christ is the same way the Holy Spirit comes alongside you, believer. So if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, know that you have one who is like Christ, dwelling within you, who is, as Christ says, another comforter. That is why it is better that Christ is not here with us, for the Holy Spirit is with us. And if you have the Holy Spirit, if you saints possess the Holy Spirit, then you possess Jesus Christ. For Christ is the man of the Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Christ. We are saints to lean on the Holy Spirit. As Pastor Antonio said this morning in his first point, how are we to show hospitality How are we to glorify God in all that we do? Well, we are not to tap into our own resources. We are not to tap into those things that we learned as a young boy or young woman that our moms and dad taught us and how to be uh, proper uh, citizens and, and all of that. But we are to lean on the Holy Spirit. That is the only way you are able to glorify God in all that you do. That is the only way that you are to uh, present Christ and him crucified to your unsaved family, friends, and neighbors. So saints, let's worship our Christ and let's glorify our God for uh, giving us the spirit. Let's pray.